What I'd like to do is to welcome our next guest, uh, Dr. Cynthia Chang, a licensed practitioner um, since 2005, a doctor of oriental medicine specializing in women's health and sports-related injuries. She has had over 35 years of experience in Chinese medicine and herbology in private practice. She's also taught Chinese perspectives in holistic health at San Francisco State uh, University, uh, Tai Chi Quan, Qigong, and meditation. And she has studied and practiced Tibetan Buddhism since 19. 19- uh, 90. Um, Cindy, as I call her, is part of the Youth and Family Ministry at East Bay Church of Religious Science and loves to garden. And uh, Cindy, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Margaret. Thank you for having me. Uh, Cindy, just to put uh, to place you in all of this, tell us a bit about your heritage, your uh, background, which is connected to Hawaii, as far as I know. Yes, I'm uh, Asian-American, raised in Hawaii. My parents uh, are immigrants coming from China, and my father was raised in China after the war. He went back to China and married my mother and came back to Hawaii. So I spent the first 18 years of my life in Hawaii. And growing up in Hawaii, we were the majority. I did not really understand what minority meant until I came here to San Francisco and uh, had someone saying to me, what, you're trying to take over the world? And so I was pretty shocked because I grew up in, in a much more harmonious and where I saw Asian faces all around me. And so to actually now be called the minorities and trying to take over the world, my heart is saddened, and this impacts me a lot with what happened because... What it's doing is preying on the ones who cannot defend themselves. And so I want to give a voice to women and to the elderly who are preyed upon. And my heart really wants to know why is this happening? And so I go back to my faith and fall back onto knowing that there is a reason for all of this happening, which is to really show the systemic racism that is all around us and through Black Lives Matter brought more focus into what's happening, the disparities that are going on in the world. And we need to actually make the playing fields much more readily available to all people to really create a world that works for everyone. And I am glad that you know, during these times, I have my faith in, in a belief in a greater good, that, you know, there is benevolence in the world and that there is some good that's going to come out of it. My heart goes out to the families of the ones who have lost their loved ones right now. And I really look to what I can do as a person to have more peace in my, in my world and finding a way that I can have peace and contentment, you know, the peace out to everyone. And so I'm challenged really to see what I can do. And so I, I go out and work in uh, the youth so that I can find a way to 
uh, help the new, the young people find ways of being, finding to know themselves and to teach them when they're young what is moral ethics and the way that some people are behaving and to excuse it by saying, well, he had a bad day. No, 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 that does not work for me. And I'm glad that at least in Oakland, we are going to have separation of mental health issues from the police so that it becomes a mental health uh, issue and not have police intervene where they're not really qualified to help families where there's a call for police uh, to come in. Yeah, and uh, Cindy, I'm just wondering, I mean, you are based in the Bay Area. I'm wondering how, you know, Trump referring to the China virus, et cetera, the attacks that have happened on um, people of Asian descent in the Bay Area. Just yesterday, there was an attack on an older woman uh, of Chinese descent, and she actually fought back and sent the guy to hospital, even though she was injured. But I'm wondering just, you know, your feeling, I mean, as a, a person of, a, I mean, looking at you, one would see your person of Asian descent, Pacific, Pacific Islander. Um, and I'm wondering if you are feeling more vulnerable, perhaps other people in the community that you may know of or have, have talked to, because these kinds of things, you know, do have an impact, an emotional impact, and sometimes even a physical uh, impact, because we know the impact that stress can have on people. And you're a healthcare practitioner. I'm sure this is something that you have run across, Cindy. You're right, Margaret. You know, I never was fearful of going out. As you know, I had my dog, and I always would take her out even at night in the neighborhood that I live in here in Oakland. And, uh, you know, I have friends from the East Coast, you know, saying or texting me, you know, wanting to know, are you safe because of what they're seeing in the news and makes me, you know, stop to think, you know, is it really safe for me to be going out at night? I do believe here in the neighborhood I'm at that it is, and I know my neighbors, I don't venture out, you know, as much at night, I, I believe now. I never used to have that sense. However, I do believe that, you know, people who are doing these things need to stop. There's a greater police presence in Chinatown, both Oakland and San Francisco, which provides some safety. Uh, for the Asian community to go out. And during COVID, so many of businesses were already shut down, even from last year before we had to shut down in March. People, you know, Chinatown was a, before Chinese New Year, was like a ghost town. People just stayed away because of what was going on. And so what happens in the news media has impacted all of us, and it creates a lot of craziness and stress because what was safe no longer is safe. And in many ways, I'm glad that my mother and dad are not with us right now, because my mother would would be just really fearful with everything that's going on because of her, you know, getting the news from the Chinese newspapers and from the, which, you know, at some times, you know, can be rather slanted. And even a friend of mine, you know, started telling me about the Chinese virus. And I had to look at her and go, excuse me, what are you saying? And I would not have expected that from her. And yet 
because the media was hammering the Chinese virus, you know, and the Chinese brought it out, you know, to the Chinese are the carriers, is because, you know, that happened so much from the media. It becomes, you know, there's a groove that goes into our, <clears throat> that happens in our brain. And we, you know, if you don't think about it, it becomes brainwashing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Cindy, what we're going to do now, we're going to have to uh, take a short station break. And uh, David uh, Mankawa is also on the line waiting to join us. He is a member of Progressive Asian Network for Action, known as PANA. So stay with us, and we'll be right back, uh, Cindy, with you, and we'll welcome David into this conversation. We'll be right back. Sojourner Truth, you'll be able to hear the show in its entirety, and you can subscribe for a free podcast. And uh, you could like and friend us on Facebook and our handle on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. Sadly, our website is down now, it is being revamped, uh, was hacked. Uh, so we hope to get that up very soon. But we are nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And in the United States, we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the Bay Area. That's San Francisco, Oakland, uh, Berkeley area. And internationally, we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Hawaii. And today we are focusing on the uptick, the horrific uptick of uh, hate crimes against people of Asian. Asian descent and Pacific Islander descent. Um, our guests still on the line with us, Dr. Cynthia Chang. I called her uh, Cindy. And also, I'd like to welcome to the discussion uh, David Mankawa, who is a member of the Progressive Asian Network for Action, known as PANA. He's currently working as an activist for Save Our Seniors uh, Network. David, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, morning. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And I also do want to give a shout out to uh, Ron Baca, um, who is our kind of resident poet, but um, he really worked hard on this particular uh, segment to, um, you know, introduce us to people like you, David. So we're very grateful for that. Uh, David, we well, do you know that. Much. I've enjoyed your program for many years, and, 
And uh, good morning to all the commuters and everybody listening at this early uh, time. All righty. Thank you so much for that. Um, now, we do know that there have been there's a long history of this kind of, uh, you know, racism against uh, people of Asian descent. I mean, back in 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1875, where Chinese women were barred from coming into the country because they were, quote unquote, assumed to be prostitutes or what today we would call uh, sex workers. And then, of course, we know what happened to um, Japanese Americans uh, during World War II. Uh, so people tend to forget uh, that history and all of the work done on building the railroads and agricultural work, et cetera. So a lot of people are thinking that this situation is, is very new in terms of discrimination against Asian Americans. I wondered if you wanted to comment on the history before we talk about what is happening right now. David. Yes, uh, Margaret, you know, the fact of the matter is that we Asian Americans have been fighting successfully successfully anti-Asian violence for over 150 years, as you just mentioned, our long history of, of uh, originating uh, in, in this country. Uh, but before I do that, I just wanted to um, say the names of the people who were killed uh, yes, uh, day before yesterday. Uh, we don't have all their names, but at least we have four of them, and that would be Delaina Ashley Yan, 33, of Ackworth, Georgia, Yaoji Yan, 49, of Kennesaw, Georgia. Uh, Dao Yu Feng, and I know I'm not doing a good job on the names, but 44 years old, address unknown. And Paul Andre Michaels, 54, of Atlanta. Oftentimes when Asian folks are, are killed, uh, especially the mass murder types, you know, nobody knows the names. And not even that, nobody even remembers the, the, the incident happened. And in 1989, you know, in Stockton, California, this was a landmark case that began the entire uh, banning assault rifles movement, nobody knows there's five uh, Cambodian kids that were killed. And one was Vietnamese, I'm sorry, four and one. That's 1989, mowed down by a racist. And all the Asian part of it was gone and taken out, and so was the racism part. 1999 in Arizona, nine Thais killed. Priests were killed, murdered. That's off the minds of everybody, too. So these kinds of incidents happen, and, uh, you know, for various reasons that other speakers have talked about before me, a lot of these things just uh, go into the dustbin of uh, news and they're never mentioned or remembered. So I just wanted to say their names. Um, Absolutely. So back, sure. Now, getting back to the successfully fighting anti-Asian violence, um, you know, someone mentioned, you mentioned before that 76-year-old Zhao Zenzi, the woman yesterday in San Francisco who fought back and, and defeated her attacker, now, that's what I'm talking about. You have several headlines of that nature, and I guarantee that anti-Asian violence at that street level will go down because a lot of the people making these attacks, these are not rocket scientists. These people are, you know, some of them are, are, are borderline mental, uh, uh, mental cases, and uh, they're very unfortunate uh, apparent people who, uh, you know, feel um, so compelled to attack someone who's so vulnerable and old so these are basically uh, cowardly type, uh, disturbed type of people. So these people, if they were to hear all these headlines all the time about Asian uh, elderly people uh, kicking their butts, or like how uh, 82-year-old African-American mom uh, made her intruder regret breaking into her home, these kinds of headlines would have an impact on these types of people. 
Now, of course, we're not talking about the white supremacist organized proud boy types that people mentioned before. That takes different medicine to get rid of those folks. But I'm talking about this ordinary street crime punks that continue to assail our elderly in our communities. Those types of people. That's what I'm talking about. And it would have a profound impact on them. Um, these kinds of headlines were there before in history, getting back to our original theme. Like you said, Margaret, when Asians originally came to this country, and Chinese railroad workers, when they were put into these horrible situations uh, where they, were gonna, they knew they were going to die, the work was so dangerous, they fought back. They fought back with pickaxes, claw hammers, and anything that they had. They fought back against lynchings, whippings, and everything else. Camps. In the camps, there were a huge number of uh, uprisings and protests. And at one point in time in Manzanar, you know, uh, there were uh, people who were fighting back against the disappear, uh, disappearance of a kitchen union worker, leader, and they were upset and they were fighting back with, with stones and sticks and they got shot down with machine guns and shotguns. And uh, a little kid, Jimmy Ito, 16 years old, young man was killed, shot in the back. Um, James Kanagawa, 21 years old, shot in the front and died. All these kinds of incidences where people are fighting back, they're all buried. They're all buried for a reason. And that's to create the consciousness within Asian Americans that buttresses the model minority myth that we don't fight back, that we are quiet, and that we are passive. And these kinds of uh, uh, you know uh, uh, lies were perpetrated in order to make Asians, and even worse, a lot of these other white white supremacists and other people think that you know you hit an Asian, they're not going to do nothing. And if it's an old Asian, even better, even more vulnerable. So I think that all these kinds of incidences, uh, you know that of in examples of Asian-Americans fighting back, uh, the Vietnamese fishermen who took on the Klan, survived, and now prosper in Galveston, Texas. All of these kinds of incidences, you know, they're mentioned in the news. However, they're buried later on. So when you are a young Asian growing up, what do you hear? You hear things about Asians getting beaten. You hear things about Asians, you know, woe is me. You know, and we have to, we have to you know, kind of like, cuddle up in a fetal position and kind of like own our pain. And I get all that, you know. When, the, when folks were killed in Atlanta, it's very painful. It's uh, shocking, painful, and everybody feels it. However, we Asians in the past, we have a track record of going beyond that, of being able to harness the sorrow, turning that into anger, turning that into productive energy, and to fight back, uh, you know, through the courts, through the ballot box, as well as through armed struggle and defend ourselves and our communities. That's the tradition of Asian Americans. That's the, that's the legacy that we have. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for breaking that down, David, making it uh, clear for us, because you're right. I mean, this rarely comes out very, very hidden. Um, Cindy, just back to you for a moment, um, specifically on the murders that happened uh, in Georgia, in the Atlanta uh, area, where six of the eight who were killed um, were uh, Asian women, and it seemed as though they were working in uh, massage uh, parlors. Now, the media coverage so far, people are kind of confused about, well, uh, you know, what is this about? They're saying that the, the uh, killer who confessed is saying, well, he was upset because he had a, a sexual addiction and this had nothing to do with race. Um, but Red Canary, 
an organization based on the East Coast um, working with uh, sex workers. They say, and I quote, media coverage that examines the racist or sexist motivations of the killings as independent of each other fail to grasp the deeply connected histories of racialized violence and paternalistic um, rescue complexes that inform the violence experienced by Asian massage workers. So, Cindy, I could see the the you know people are thinking now. Well, is this really a racist attack against Asians? Is it simply an attack against? Um, Asian massage um, workers, women workers, because there is that um, falsity that they're all sex workers, which absolutely is not the case. And that's not to say some may or may not be, but that's not the issue. That's not a death sentence. And the the question is, um, why couldn't it be both and, and likely both, um, even though the killer is denying it? I mean, it just so happens that everybody that he killed, except for two people who happened to be on the um, in one of the the parlors were women of Asian descent. Uh, just some final thoughts from you, Cindy. Well, my thoughts are that you know this incident you know cannot be separated from a person who has mental health issues, and at the same time he's also targeting Asian women who work in these massage parlors and for whatever is going on in his mind, which I can't fathom, I can't separate that it, it is an Asian, uh, it's an attack against you know, Asian women and sex workers uh, as such. And these are women who are not ones that can really speak for themselves. So if the media wants to whitewash it, then we, those of us who can speak, need to speak up. and say this is racial violence and not to be just skipped over and whitewashed and say, oh, no, you, you can tell, you know, he went from one to the other across the street. It wasn't. And then he even drove purposefully to another one from what I could see. So it tells me that, you know, even in his uh, in his mind, there was some kind of methodology of, you know, really targeting Asian people. And with that, I'm complete. Yeah, okay. And just some uh, final thoughts from you, David. Well, I like to, you know, the, the anti-Asian violence on a personal level. We can recognize that. We see that. We abhor that. We hate that. And we're going to try to reverse that or try to prevent that by more uh, open and more uh, 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 strong uh, aggressive showings of Asian Americans getting together and pledging that we are, will fight back, we will not allow this to happen, uh, so on and so forth. Um, however, I feel I think that um, uh, we have to look to a greater uh, um, phenomenon in society and the kind of racism that's coming forth. And you know, sure, it's spiking now again because of the pandemic, but 77 years like you mentioned, Margaret, since 1898 to 1975 until the Vietnam War ended, you know, Asians have been the enemy of the United States for 77 continuous years, from, from Hawaii, the Philippines, uh, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, you name it. So that type of consciousness 
that Asians are an enemy, existential enemy, that's deeply ingrained in the consciousness of American people. That plus the ever uh, self-perpetuating racism that comes from sort of a, you know, dog-eat-dog, a, a profit-over-people system that we have, that's what perpetuates racism. So until we deal with that, all these kinds of incidents of anti-Asian racism, and not to mention the daily shootings of African-American young people, and the daily shootings of Latinx people and Native American people, that's all going to continue along with the oppression and the violence against Asian Americans until we deal with the core that is, in the, uh, that is in our system. We have to change that system in order to get rid of the rest of this stuff. Absolutely. And, and, and David, for people who want to get in touch with the Progressive Asian Network for Action or PANA, um, what should they do? Well, one thing is that they can, they can come out Saturday night, March 20th, 6 p.m. to Little Tokyo on the corner of 2nd Street in San Pedro, because we're going to have... And this is for a, our listeners uh, in Southern California, right? Yeah. Yes. This is in LA, Los LA, Angeles. LA, okay. Little Tokyo, because we're going to have a candlelight vigil for 117 dead Japanese-American elderly people. And this is a product of corporate violence. And in my, in my eyes, there's not that much difference between corporate violence and individual anti-Asian racist violence. What we have here is a company called Pacifica, who should have never gotten a COVID treatment license. Well, they got one from the county for whatever reason, uh, you know, because they're serial violators of patient care. And this resulted in 117, the most in California, okay, the most in California, the majority being overwhelming majority Japanese Americans being dead. And we're going to have... Alrighty. And tell us again um, the, the day and the, the time of that. We, we are, we're at the end of this segment now, David. Sure. It's coming Saturday mm-hmm. night, 6 p.m. in Little Tokyo on the corner of 2nd Street in San Pedro. Be there, and we'll see you there. And we'll try to fight back against uh, corporate anti-Asian violence as well as the individual street type of violence that's been uh, upon, uh, thrust upon us. Okay, David uh, Monkawa, thank you so very much for joining us. We're going to be continuing you, um, work on on covering these attacks against Asian Americans. We we only scratch the surface. And, for example, we need on this show a discussion about the black-brown divide and how black communities and Asian communities are often pitted once against each other. A lot of people remember Latasha Harlins, uh, the teen who was shot and killed for allegedly stealing some orange juice, and that created a lot of tension among um, uh, Korean Americans. So this discussion is to be continued. So Dr. Cynthia Chang, uh, known by her friends, including me as Cindy, uh, thank you for joining us, and Dr. David uh, Mankawa as well.